0: happy Sabbath how many of you are surprised just now <laughs> you probably thought to yourself oh this guy's just telling us uh, you know what we already know as Christians uh, but here he is an atheist who to some degree has a better understanding Of what we should be doing not only as Christians but as Seventh-day Adventist Christians it's interesting apparently this atheist believes that Christianity teaches that the wicked uh, will suffer eternally and uh, he does well to reject that picture of God amen and uh, I think it it's a pretty sad commentary when Atheists begin to ask us where we are. (laughs) Come on, save me if this is so bad. And so tonight I would like to speak to you uh, about this theme, rise up and build. And as I think about these, uh, these words, rise up and build. A people will not rise up unless they believe, amen? And so in order for us to rise up, we must first understand why we must rise up. Uh, It it relates to us that conversion must take place in order for a people to rise up. So we're going to talk about that tonight, what it means, why we should rise up, how God intends to raise us up. And then we see this word build. And the question really is how should we build? How should we build? Because God is calling us to do just that. He's calling us to build. Tomorrow night we will talk about this subject of how to build. As I sat here uh, looking at the screen and then looking at the people speaking, I thought about those. uh, old kung fu movies I used to watch when I was out in the world, those poorly dubbed kung fu movies I used to watch when I was out in the world. So I just want to let you know, don't look at the screen tonight, look at me, amen? (laughs) Otherwise, you may be thrown off. See? (laughs) Again, I thank you for the invitation, and uh, I am... Uh, thrilled to be here. I believe the Lord is going to bless us tonight. I believe he's going to bless us tomorrow night. Um, I believe he has a blessing in store for us uh, at every single angle. So I want to ask you to bow your heads with me as uh, I pray up here and ask for the Lord's guidance. Heavenly Father, we pray for your spirit to speak to us in a special way. May we not have traveled here in vain. May we leave here filled. So Holy Spirit, we ask that you come now and fill this place with your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like for you to turn in your Bibles to the book of John. The book of John, chapter 18. John, the 18th chapter. Jesus... Is about to reveal to us an extremely important principle in relation to our theme this week. John chapter 18 and verse 37, the Bible says, Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou then a king? Jesus answered, Thou sayest, I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone that is of the truth heareth my voice. There is a lot in that verse. Jesus tells us that the very reason he was born the very cause of him entering into this world was that he should what? Bear witness. Why was Jesus born? To bear witness. His cause His life purpose, his mission, he sums up in this one verse. For this cause came I into this world. Now, when he says came I into this world, what he is saying is for this cause I was what? Born. Why was Jesus born, everyone? He was born to do what? Bear witness unto the truth. Jesus was born to witness. Ah, you apparently didn't get that. (laughs) Jesus came into this world, his very cause, his very mission was to witness unto the truth. That was the reason he was born. Now he says in John chapter 1 verse 12, the Bible tells us, John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says here, and as many as received him, to them gave he power to become what? Sons of God, even to them that believe on his name, which were... What's the word? Born. Let me ask you this. How many of you came with Bibles tonight? Okay, you got your Bibles? Very good. So, you know, I like when I speak, I like to hear that, you know, someone is alive out there. Amen? So, um, let's, let's, let's try this again. All right? Verse 12. Uh, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become what, everyone? Sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Verse 13. Which were born which were born not of blood nor of the will of the flesh nor of the will of man but of who god do we have anyone in here that is born again raise your hand if you're born again i want you to notice with me john chapter 3 John chapter 3, something you may not have realized. John 3 and verse 3. Jesus answered and said unto him, that is Nicodemus, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be what? Born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Oh boy. Except a man be born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God jump down with me to verse 5 verily verily i say unto thee except a man be born of water and of the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of god and now notice verse 6 that which is born of the flesh is what flesh and that which is born of the spirit is spirit so they that are born of the spirit are spirit but they that have not been born again are what flesh well the question is how can i tell if i've been born again Well, the obvious answer is, if I'm in the flesh, I have not been what? Born again. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. That which is born of the spirit is spirit. Paul puts it this way in the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. I want you to notice with me verse 6. Romans chapter 8, verse 6. The Bible says here, For to be carnally minded is what? Death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. That word carnally means to be fleshly minded. So here we have the same distinction. That which is born of the flesh is spiritual minded. That which is born, or rather of the spirit is spiritual minded. and That which is born of the flesh is carnally minded. Now listen, why? is it that the carnal mind is death? Verse 7 tells us, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to what? The law of God neither indeed can be. So the carnal mind is against, is not subject to what, everyone? The law of God. Now, I know you're yawning right about now because you're saying I'm an Adventist. Of course I believe in the law of God. But don't miss the law of God. I want you to notice with me, Romans chapter 13. Romans the 13th chapter and verse 8, the Bible says, O no man anything but to love one another. For he that loveth another has done what? Fulfilled the law. So the actual keeping of the law is, is in its, you know, uh, in my evangelistic series, when I talk about the Ten Commandments, I usually tell people that the Ten Commandments is righteousness for dummies. You ever seen those? You ever seen those signs? <laughs> Listen, when God, when, when Adam was created, the law was summed up in one word. What was it? It was love. That was it. But after the degradation of man, after his, his fall from grace and, or from righteousness, and after hundreds and thousands of years, when God came to Mount Sinai, he had to write the, listen guys, this is what love looks like, and he had to write it out for them. Righteousness for, I know you don't want to call yourself dummies, but you have no choice. Because that's what we all are outside of Christ. Amen? Righteousness for dummies. But Paul comes back here and says, don't forget that in reality, the keeping of the law is summed up in one word, and that is love. Love your neighbor. Now, the Bible tells us in John 15, verse 13, greater love has no man than this, than he lay his life, what? Down for his friends. Did Jesus do that? Who were his friends? The Bible tells us who his friends were. It says, while we were yet his enemies, he died for us. (laughs) So let's put this all together now then. What the Bible is telling us here, we're going to sum all these verses that we just looked at. Jesus was born for a very special purpose. His cause was to what? Witness. It was to love others. And how did he do it? By laying his life down for his friends who were really his enemies. And he did this in an effort to save their lives. Now, are you born again? You see, beloved, to be born again means that you are born with a purpose, with a cause. And in fact, if you claim to have been born again, but you are not living out the very cause, in other words, the very reason that Jesus was born is the very reason that we are born again. And if we claim to have been born again, but we are not living out the cause, then something is apparent. We are not spiritually minded, but we are carnally minded because the carnal mind is enmity against the law of God. And the law of God says, love your neighbor, the people living next door to you. How do I love them, Lord? By witnessing unto the truth. Jesus was a lifesaver. That was his whole mission. The born-again man, the born-again woman will also be a life saver. To reject the very cause of God is to reject the law of God. We look at the law of God and say, yes, I'm keeping the Ten Commandments, but, but above and beyond that, beloved, the law of God is not only what we are doing uh, uh, to try to uh, get ourselves right, but the law of God also extends to our neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself. Witness unto your neighbor. Go out there and tell somebody, witness unto the truth. So now you understand that to reject, to be carnally minded is simply to reject the very purpose that God caused you to be born again. Does that make sense? Now we can begin to understand something. I want you to notice with me Revelation chapter 12 verse 17, a verse we have looked at very often and read proudly. Revelation 12 verse 17. Listen to what the Bible tells us here. And the dragon was angry with the woman and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which do what? Keep the commandments. I hope you're following me. You see, beloved, according to all that we have read, the people who the devil is really after are those who are Witnessing Hmm. those who are out daring to spread this thing called the three angels messages those who are out telling their neighbors telling their friends see the devil doesn't mind if we sit in church and just sit here and say oh we know the truth we know the truth no he doesn't care about that sure sit here and worship all you want but who he's really after are those who are actually keeping the commandments of god You see, the commandments is much bigger, beloved, than just, I'm keeping the law. No, the commandments also include us witnessing, and it is one of the greatest evidences, not the only evidence, but it is one of the greatest evidences that a man has been born again when he takes up the cause of Christ. The mission of Christ. And so the devil goes to make war. With those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. It's interesting. This word war in verse 17, the Greek pelomia, it means to make busy. Yeah. Oh. Oh. Ah. The devil says, all right, I'm going to make war against the remnant. How can I get them to forget about their mission, their cause? I know not only will I get busy after them, I will make them busy. So how is he making war with us? By making us busy. The word means to, to trade, to bustle. Anybody know what it means to hustle and bustle? This is what the enemy of souls is doing. I want you to notice with me 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 11. 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11. Listen to what the Bible tells us here. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11, the Bible says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which do what? War against the soul. Not only will the devil attempt to make us too busy to fulfill our God-given mission, the very reason we were born again, he's also going to uh, uh, try to use lusts to war against us. Anybody ever been involved in that conflict? You know what the Bible tells us? It talks about the lust of the what? Lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. You know, these three things kill our witness. When we're lusting uh, uh, after the flesh, when we're lusting with our eyes, we lose that power that God wants within us to be able to testify of the truth with conviction. Do you know what is pride? Let me ask it this way. Um, How many of you like to be embarrassed? Anybody like to be embarrassed? Raise your hand. Why don't you like to be embarrassed? How dare you embarrass me? (laughs) Right? Pride. Yeah, we don't like to be embarrassed because we have self esteem. Pride. Listen, do you know that perhaps the number one reason why people do not like to witness is because of the pride of life? I don't want to be rejected. I don't want to to have someone laugh at me. I don't want to look stupid, so so I'm just going to keep my mouth quiet. I'm not going to live out the very mission that Christ has given to me. Let me ask you, was Jesus willing to be embarrassed for us? Amen. And, And if he did that for us, how much more should we be willing to do that for him? You see, he says, don't be afraid. You know, the Bible tells us that perfect love casts out what? Fear. So the devil knows that if he can make us afraid, he can cast out perfect, perfect love. And love is the fulfilling of the law, which means I love my neighbor so much that I'm willing to lay down my life or my livelihood or my pride of life to witness to that person that's what Jesus Christ has called us to do and so why does Satan want to war uh, use these lusts of the flesh and of life and of the eyes to war against us let me tell you why notice with me Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 Galatians chapter 5 and verse 16 the Bible tells us here this I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the what of the flesh let me ask you if that's true is the opposite true is the opposite true walk in the flesh let me read on verse 17 for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So what the devil wants to do is he wants to overwhelm us with the lust of, of, of the pride of life, of the, of the lust of the eyes, and, and the lust of, of all the different worldly lusts so that he can drown out our mission as God's people. Let me share something with you that I know you're going to be like, I don't want to say that, but listen. Read this again with me. Verse 14 or rather verse 16 this I say then walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the what of the flesh so if we walk in the spirit we will not fulfill the lust of the flesh but if we walk in the flesh then we will not fulfill what we will not fulfill what we will not fulfill the what you guys, your minds aren't even there. You're just going like, what, is he, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> it's there, but you're like, I know he doesn't want me to say that. <laughs> Did you know that the spirit lusts? Put down the stones. <laughs> Listen. Walk in the spirit and you will not fulfill the lusts of the flesh. Walk in the flesh and you will not fulfill the lusts of the spirit. What does the word lust mean? It means desire. Beloved, lust is not a bad word. <laughs> That's why when you read in the Bible, it talks about the lust of the world. It talks about the lust of, and it talks about worldly lusts and and harmful lusts. And so there are good lusts and there are bad lusts. And the Bible tells us here, verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the spirit and the spirit, what? Against the flesh. What does it mean? What word is left out? But what is implied? The spirit lusts against the flesh ooh you say the spirit lust yes can I share with you what the lust of the spirit is notice with me Luke chapter 4 verse 18 Luke chapter 4 and verse 18 notice what the Bible says here Jesus as he is beginning his mission his cause notice what he says in verse 18 the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to what to preach the gospel to the poor he has sent me to what heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind to set at liberty them which are bruised what was the desire of the spirit in the life of Christ What was it? It was to witness. It was to witness. So then, beloved, the lust or the desire of the Spirit is to witness. Anybody have the lust of the Spirit in here? Yeah, beloved, God is calling us to have the lust, the desire, the the passion. When I say lust, do you think of passion? How many of you think of passion when you hear the word lust? God wants us to have the passion of the Spirit. Beloved, without the passion of the Spirit, in fact, listen to this. The lust of the flesh produces what? The fruit of the flesh. You realize that? When you're out in the world, the first thing the devil does is he gets you the lust. And that lust produces, the. according to James 1, uh, uh, when, when, you have con- when, when the Bible says lust has conceived. You know what it means to conceive? Lust conceives. Did you know that? So, without lust, the lust of the flesh, there can be no fruit of the flesh. Amen? Listen to this. Are you ready for this? Without the lust of the Spirit, if your desire is not to see other people saved, you cannot experience the fruit of the Spirit. Period. The lust of the flesh is what allows God to make the fruit. I'm sorry, the lust of the spirit. Correct me when you... Okay. The lust of the spirit is what causes God or allows God to create in us the fruit of the spirit. There can be no love. What are the fruits of the spirit? Come on. Love Joy, peace, long suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. You cannot experience that unless you are doing the work of God. Did you hear what I said? Unless you are living out the mission of Christ, unless you have the passion of the Spirit, the, the desire of the Spirit, it is impossible for us to experience the fruit of the Spirit because where there is no lust, there can be no. Fruit. Beloved, God wants our hearts. Without our hearts, we will never rise, much less build. We may be building, but our hearts, if our hearts aren't in it, we'll only build for a while and then go back to the way things used to be. God wants our hearts. So the question is, how is God going to get our hearts? How does, does, does Jesus propose or seek to win our hearts? And I, know, I want you to notice with me our opening verse, which was John chapter 12. John chapter 12 and verse 32. When you get there, say amen. Amen. Notice what the Bible says here. And I, if I be what? Lifted up from the earth, will draw all men unto me. That's how Jesus proposes to win us. To win our hearts. You know what? For us Adventists, our minds are one. We understand truth. But our hearts For a lot of us, our hearts are not there. Our desires, our lusts are of the what? The flesh of the world. So Jesus says, I've got to win your heart. And he says, here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it by being lifted up. And you say, what does that mean? You know what Jesus meant when he said, I'll be lifted up. He would what? Die? On the cross for our sins I want to share something with you that I pray by God's grace tonight will win your heart like nothing you've ever heard before so are you ready listen to me go with me to numbers chapter 21 numbers 21 and you know what we don't even have to turn there Let's, I'll just tell you the story. if you want to go there that's fine Verse 21 verse 8 and 9 the there speaks of uh, uh, the incident where the children of Israel were going through the wilderness and they began to murmur against God And as they began to murmur, you remember God's presence was what? Was was withdrawn and serpents began to come out and do what? Bite the people. And uh, God told Moses, build a what? A serpent of bronze and put it upon a pole. And whosoever looks at this serpent, he's going to what? He's going to live. Now... You might say to yourself, man, that, you know, if I was in that time, I would have definitely looked at the serpent because, you know, if all, that's all I got to do is if I'm bitten and all I have to do is look at the serpent and I live, then man, that's so easy to do. Why is it that some of the people in the wilderness did not look and thus died? Why? How many of you were back in that time, you would have definitely looked at the serpent? Let me see your hands. Oh, come on, come on. You're back in that time. Oh, come on, sir. No brainer, you know. Look at the serpent live. Can I see your hands? Raise them nice and high so I can see. Nice and high. Good. Keep your hands up. Keep them up. Okay. Good. Keep them up while I keep talking. Now, keep them up. Now, let's say that uh, all of a sudden, 1,000 serpents just happen to fall out of the ceiling right on them. Right on. Just. Whew. Okay. And then I said, hey, guys, guys, look up here. Look at me. Look at me. How many of you would look? Keep your hands raised. Exactly. What would you be busy doing? You'd be busy looking where? You'd be busy looking down at the serpents on the ground, right? Trying to do what? Save yourself. Remember, Moses was instructed, lift up this serpent. God was testing their faith. Are you going to look up at me by faith? Or are you going to be busy looking at your circumstances? looking at the serpents that are around you, trying to escape in your own way, in your own thinking. That's what God was doing. And so nonetheless, some looked and some did not, some died, but God, Jesus here was using that example saying, look, that brazen serpent was to be lifted up and as the people looked, they would what? They would live. They would live. The question is, why did God use that illustration? Now I want you to turn with me, we're talking about God winning our hearts, Christ winning our hearts. Please notice with me, John chapter 19, something that is going to absolutely just make your mind, just, just... all you'll be able to say is how much God loved us, that he gave us his only begotten son. Listen, John 12, I'm sorry, uh, John 19. John chapter 19, verses 12 to 14, let me begin to read. And from thenceforth, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, saying, If thou let this man go, thou art not Caesar's friend. Whosoever maketh himself a king, speaketh against Caesar. When Pilate therefore heard that, saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat him down in the where? In the judgment seat. In a place that is called the what? What? the pavement but in the hebrew gabatha and it was the preparation of the passover and about the sixth hour and he said unto the jews behold your king but they cried out away with him away with him crucify him pilate said unto i crucify your king the chief priest answered we have no king but caesar then delivered he him therefore unto them to be Crucified. You say, Pastor, what does this verse have to do with Jesus loving us so much? Listen, there is something very significant in this verse. The Bible tells us that this is where Jesus received his death sentence. This place called the pavement, or in the Hebrew, Gabbatha. Now, now Gabbatha meant an exalted place, and the pavement symbolized or meant a stone floor. So get this now, Jesus steps onto the stone floor before a judgment seat in an exalted place, and this is where he receives his death sentence. And when I first read this verse, something, stuck, something popped in my mind when I looked up this word pavement and saw that it meant stone floor. Anybody, when I mention stone floor, what else do you think of in the scripture? Any other verse comes to mind? All right. I thought I heard something, but I don't know if that was the right answer or not. I'm just going to tell you. In Isaiah chapter 14, there's an angel by the name of who? <laughs> okay. Come on now. <laughs> there's an angel by the name of Lucifer. Very good. Just How many of you are alive out there? All right, very good. An angel by the name of Lucifer. And Lucifer, we are told, in fact, go there with me very quickly. Isaiah, I'm sorry, Ezekiel 28. That's where we want to go. Ezekiel 28, same uh, uh, angel being spoken about here. Ezekiel 28. Notice with me verse 14. Thou art the anointed cherub that covereth, and I have set thee so. Thou hast walked up and down upon the holy mountain of God. What is a mountain? A mountain. It's an exalted place, isn't it? You walked up and down on a holy mountain of God. You have walked up and down in the midst of the stones of what? Fire. Some translations read the stone floor or the pavement floor. Jesus steps onto this pavement floor. And in my pastoral imagination mind, I can just imagine Jesus as he steps on that floor having a flashback, maybe, of a time long, long ago in a place far, far away where he once sat upon a judgment seat and Lucifer stood upon a pavement floor before him. And by the way, where was Lucifer? Where did Lucifer receive his judgments? Let me read it for you. Ezekiel 28 and verse four, verse 16. Latter part of that verse, "Therefore I will cast thee as profane out of the mountain of God, I will destroy thee, O covering cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire." Lucifer was received his judgment from the midst of the stones of fire. And beloved, it is as though Jesus now standing. It is as though Lucifer has said, now the tables are turned. It's my turn. It's my turn. Could it be possible that what Lucifer was attempting to do was to play a psychological role? a a trick, a psychological warfare upon Jesus Christ himself. And you're going to see what I'm talking about in a minute. Guess what? Why was Lucifer cast out of heaven? Because he claimed to be who? Why is Jesus being judged on this stone floor? Ooh, wow. Let me read something to you. See if I can find it here. Desire of Ages, page 119. When Satan and the Son of God first met in conflict, Christ was the commander of the heavenly hosts, and Satan, the leader of revolt in heaven, was cast out. Now their condition is apparently reversed. And Satan makes the most of his supposed advantage. One of the most powerful of the angels, he says, has been banished from heaven. The appearance of Jesus indicates that he is that fallen angel. So in the wilderness, what Lucifer attempted to do was he wanted Jesus, he he was going to try to get Jesus to think that he was who? that fallen angel of course it didn't work you know if you are the son of God if you are the son of God but now in the end of Jesus's time he's already prayed in the garden of Gethsemane he feels God's presence leaving him and now Lucifer begins this psychological warfare in in an attempt to push Jesus Over the edge and we begin to find beloved that everything in the book of Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14 that pointed to Jesus Lucifer or pointed to Lucifer Lucifer made it appear that it was pointing to Jesus might I share some of those things with you notice with me Ezekiel 28 I'm gonna go through this as quickly as I can in verse 10 The Bible says of Lucifer, Thou shalt die the deaths of the uncircumcised by the hands of strangers. Question, who put Jesus to death? Strangers. Notice again with me. In Ezekiel 28, where it spoke about uh, uh, Lucifer being cast out of the mountain of God. Do you know that the Bible also equates, uh, in Isaiah 66 and verse 20, it, it equates Jerusalem with the mountain of God? Question, was Jesus cast out of the mountain of God? Where did he die? Outside the gates. Not only that, I want you to notice with me Ezekiel 28 and verse 17, where it says of Lucifer, I will cast thee to the ground, I will lay thee before kings, that they may behold thee, beloved, as Jesus was brought before kings. As he was uh, uh, stretched out upon that cross and people walked by beholding him, wagging their heads, saying, is this the man? You see, beloved, I believe that, that I don't even think the Jews and the Romans understood the mental struggle that Jesus was going through for you. It's as though Lucifer knew, and Jesus knew exactly what was going on, but humanity had no idea. Lucifer was saying, it's my turn now. I am going to make you appear as the very one. And now all these prophecies begin to appear to point to Jesus. In fact, the Bible tells us here in Ezekiel 28, verse 18, it says, uh, 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 thou hast defiled thy sanctuaries by the multitude of thine iniquity. Do you know what Jesus was accused of? You who destroyest the temple, raise it again in three days. It, it says here in, verse, in Isaiah 14, verse 12, Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground? How thou didst weaken the nations? Did you know what Jesus was accused of? Caiaphas, the high priest, said it is expedient for us that one man die, that the whole what? Nation perish not everything appears to be pointing to jesus christ down to the very place where of lucifer it says uh in, in ezekiel 28 verse 19 it says thou shalt be a terror and never shalt thou be anymore how many of you remember that verse which talks about lucifer will cease to exist do you know what jesus cried on, on, cried out on the cross matthew 27 my god my god why hast thou what Forsaken me, Jesus felt that he was going into the tomb never to come back again. Listen to me, beloved. Jesus loved you so much that he was willing to be treated as the devil himself. You say, come on, pastor, let me give you one more point. Have you ever asked yourself why God would say, make a brazen serpent and put it on a pole? Why didn't he say, make a brazen lamb? That would have been a more fitting description of Christ. But he says, make a brazen serpent. Come on, who does a serpent represent in Scripture consistently? It represents Satan. Beloved, Jesus loved us so much that he was willing to be treated not just as sin, but it's as though Satan put a Satan mask on Christ and said, there he is. There's the imposter. There is the one that is cursed of God. And Jesus... Rather than say, wait a minute, you got that wrong. Do you know Ellen White says that angels veil their faces at the sight? Angels have strong stomachs. I honestly believe that. And I can't see an angel going, oh, they just hit him. No, beloved, there was something that caused angels to turn away in, in, in shock, in horror, and I believe it is because of the psychological warfare that Lucifer waged upon Christ. And yet, Christ, because he loved us so much, died for us. He says, and now if I be lifted up, if you, when you look at the cross and really see what I did for you, something's gonna happen. You will not be able to sit still any longer. You will not be able to say, well, let somebody else do it. Something is gonna stir in your heart. Let me ask you a question, what is love? What is love? Is love a principle? How many of you would tell your wives that? <laughs> Honey, I love you because it's principle. <laughs> it sounds good, beloved. Love is a principle. Amen. But love is also an emotion. Amen. You better not say amen sitting next to your wife. (laughs) I mean, I'm sorry, you better not not say amen sitting next to your wife. (laughs) When you love someone, you are emotionally moved by them. Amen? Not only emotional, but that emotion must also be accompanied with principle. Amen? Listen to me. I want to tell you a story about my brother. My older brother. He is 6'9". And uh, he graduated from Penn State University. And his wife-to-be, Stacy, was graduating the year after him. And so he planned something. Uh, At her graduation, she is walking across the stage. It's at Penn State. And, uh, you know, the whole place is packed. And as she's walking across the stage, all of a sudden, you just hear this in the audience everybody begins to look up and around and somebody's pointing upward and there in the bleachers is my brother, all six, nine of them with a banner unfurled saying, Stacy, will you marry me? Oh, and that's exactly what they did in the whole, everybody, oh and everybody started crying and you know, people were like, oh my God and people forgot that it was a graduation and, and it was just so moving and Stacy was just crying and, and it, it was a beautiful proposal everybody saw it have you ever uh, you know women have you ever the, maybe the guy you're married to, the man you're married to now you used to not like him before you guys you know it's like, man, leave me alone I don't like you. And the guy, he just keeps coming. But, but leave me alone, please. Leave me alone. No. How many ways can I say no? No. Let me try it this way. No. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and the person just keeps insisting and persisting. And then that person did that special thing that kind of caught you off guard. And you were like, oh, I guess he's not so bad after all. And then you began to go to like this person, and before you knew it, you were married. Listen, beloved. And sometimes that man can go and be embarrassed for you and do it, and you're just like, "This guy' is totally embarrassing me. Listen. Jesus went through what he went through for us because he loved us. And you know what happened? We said no to him. And he said, "What well, way? No. But, but I, I just no. and 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 this woman that he loved got to the place where she even began to spit in his face no slap him and beat him no and jesus was determined i'm not gonna give up i'm gonna keep asking for her hand. i'm gonna keep asking for her hand and beloved in the very moment of that woman's utter rejection in the very moment that she is saying, this is how much I'm going to tell you that I mean no. In that very key moment, Jesus pulls it and he says, will you marry me now? He unfurls the banner. And beloved, as we look at that cross, And see the sacrifice, the proposal that Jesus made to us while we were yet his enemies. How can our hearts not be moved? How can we not say, yes, Jesus, yes. Mount Sinai wrote the law in the minds of the Israelites, but their hearts were far from him. Calvary not only writes the law in our minds, but it writes it in our hearts. And when we see what Jesus did for us, beloved, we say yes to that covenant. Yes. To that marriage, you know what the covenant is? It's a symbol of marriage. We say, I do. We live out our vows. We become faithful to our vows. I'm getting ready to close. Do you know the Bible tells us in the book of Genesis, or rather Proverbs, it says something to the effect that desire, um, godly lust or godly desire is like a tree of life in other words desire is the symbol the sign that you are alive if the flesh is alive you will know it because the lusts of the flesh are heavy if the spirit is alive in you you will know it because the lust of the spirit is heavy amen do you realize that when eve ate of that tree of the knowledge of good and evil and she began to desire evil god put a tree or a flaming sword around the tree of what the tree of life you know why Because he could not have someone selfishly partaking of the tree of life. Can you imagine if the tree of life was around today? What kind of wars would be going on to to keep that tree or to have power over that tree? You know, if Eve had access to that tree and and Adam and the rest of the, it'd be like, no, you, you know, the the tree was meant to pass on to others to give them life. But had they taken up that tree of sin, they would have been like, well, you get your own. I'm not getting it. You get your own. And and it would have become a a situation where people would have began to take up that tree selfishly. And that's why God put a tree of a sword up around it. Do you know that many people are doing that today? Many Adventists are doing that today. Let somebody else tell you about the path. You'll get your own. I learned the truth myself. You learned it yourself. Let somebody else tell it to you. But let me tell you something. Only those who keep commandments of God will have right to the tree of life. I don't know if you caught that. Only those who were giving the tree of life, the fruit of that life to others, only those who were, who were leading others to the tree of life, thus keeping the commandments of God, only those will have right to the tree of life. When you, you know, that scenario, when you get up to the heaven, heaven's gates and God asks you, well, you know, why do you want to come in here? But listen, beloved, you get up to that, this is scenario. We know this is not real. But beloved, listen, if you don't have fruit with you, you can't enter heaven. God's going to say, Where's your gu- where are your guests? Where's your company? Well, you know, uh, I was busy, but I learned the truth. Do you realize that you cannot get into heaven? If you don't bring somebody, let me read this last statement to you here. It's a powerful one that needs to be read. Signs of the Times, June 6, 1892. There will be no one saved in heaven with a starless crown. If you enter, there will be some soul in the courts of glory that has found an entrance there through your instrumentality. I want to make a simple appeal tonight. Lord, I have heard your proposal. I have seen it. What you went through on the cross was so unspeakable. My heart has been touched. Lord, I want you to give me tonight the lust of the Spirit. I want that desire. I want that passion. I want that emotion, Lord. Please give it to me because without the lust of the Spirit, I cannot experience the fruit of the Spirit because the fruit of the Spirit is never given to a selfish, self-serving person. I want your Spirit tonight, Lord. I accept your proposal tonight, Lord. Tonight, I want to rise. Tonight, I want to rise. If that's your desire, would you stand to your feet? I want to rise tonight. And I, if I be lifted up, will draw all men unto me, beloved, as Seventh-day Adventists, We must understand that the way we are going to bring people into this church, into this truth, is by lifting up that incredible sacrifice of Jesus Christ. My prayer tonight is that his desire will become our desire. His mission will become our mission and his cause will become our cause. Heavenly Father, you've spoken to us tonight. Grant us, Lord, your spirit. Lord, we want to be born again. And to be born again, we must be born of the Spirit. And if we are to be born of the Spirit, we must experience the desire of the Spirit. Grant us that desire, O Father. May we in our hearts and our minds say yes to that incredible proposal you made for us at the cross. And we thank you, Jesus, for loving us so much that you were willing to be treated like a serpent and not open your mouth. Father, it is incredible that Lucifer in heaven was guilty of of the very crimes he was accusing Christ of, and he fought back. And yet Jesus was innocent on earth, and he didn't even open his mouth. Teach us his way, that we may be empowered at last by your spirit, is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. This message was recorded and produced by Power of the Lamb Ministries. Our mission is to help prepare God's people for the soon coming of Jesus Christ by pointing to the supernatural power of the Lamb of God that gives us the experience of victorious Christian living. For more information on our multimedia resources or inquiries on speaking engagements, please log on to our website at www.powerofthelamb.com. That's www.powerofthelamb.com or you can call us at area code 805-226-8080 that's 805-226-8080 thank you and God bless